Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 78. Welcome, welcome, welcome to everybody. And uh, we're glad you're joining us today. It's always wonderful. These Wednesday, these Wednesday shows are s- so wonderful. They're one of my favorite times of the month. And uh, I'm Dr. Scott Wright, former uh, Director of Admissions at UT University of Texas Southwestern Medical School in Dallas and uh, retired Executive Director of uh, the Texas Application Service. And uh, joining me today is my esteemable colleague, Verenia Granham. Hello. <laughs> Verenia, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, this how, was, is... how was your Thanksgiving? Oh, man. I, it was wonderful just being around family again. Um, yeah. That was that was the best part. Yeah. Eating lots and lots of food, of course, uh, and then just relaxing on Friday yes. after, yes. and just you know enjoying yes. the time off. I hope absolutely. I hope absolutely. our our viewers yeah. out there also had a chance to kind of take a break, reset. Yeah, right. This is yep. the time of year that everyone sort of like. I haven't heard anything. Yeah, that's right. You know, that's you right. maybe you had that dreaded conversation at, at the dinner table about, you know, when are you going <laughs> to become a doctor or yep. what's going on? Yep, yep. So yep. hopefully today um, we can support you and make you feel, you know, Absolutely. like you're, you're, you know, you're not alone in this process. <laughs> yep, that's exactly right. Um, that's, we're here to to commiserate with you yes, and to celebrate with you <laughs> and to, uh, you know, all those things. It's wonderful. Yes. And, and, you know, I, I, I think that uh, this is definitely, you're right, uh, Verenia, the time of year where everybody kind of starts, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the realities of their situation start sinking in. We get a lot of celebrations, a lot of students that uh, talk about how they uh, really want to um, you know, they're excited about going to medical school, and then we have students who are anxious because they haven't heard anything, or they've only heard a few things, and so they're, they don't know what mm-hmm. to do, and so we get that it's an anxious time of, of year. So. Exactly, and and uh, I didn't mention this before, but in case you're, you're new to watching us or, or new to listening to us, I am a MAPT advisor, um, so I work with Dr. Wright, Dr. Gray, our wonderful colleague, Rachel Grubb. Grubs on helping support our pre-med students and our pre-PA students. Um, been with MAPT now six months. Can you believe yeah, that? Yeah, that's hard to believe. I right? know. I know. This is also the time of year I reflect back on, you know, it's end of the year, right? We're looking back on the past year. And this time last year, I would have never thought I would be here with you all live on, you know, on this platform. So I, I'm grateful for that opportunity. Um, so let's get to, you know, yeah. let's get to some questions. Let's do it. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. I'm 
totally down for that. <laughs> By the way, everyone, Dr. Gray, our colleagues, Dr. Gray oh, and yes. Rachel Grubbs will not be joining us today. Mm-hmm. They had a conflict, uh, another meeting that was going on, and they send their regards and they send their, their disappointment that they can't be here yes. today. But hopefully we'll be able to handle it. We're going to limp along. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we are the stars of That's correct. The know, that's correct. We are the deans after all. So. Right. <laughs> so all it'll right. be great. It'll so be great. It will be great. So let's go ahead and get started. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So we have our first question here from Dakota Shoemaker. Dakota would like to know. Hey, MAP team, I took an EMT course last year, but decided not to pursue licensing because I didn't really enjoy clinicals. Should I still put the course on my application? How should I classify it? Yeah, good question. Yeah, so what do you think, Dr. Wright? Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to put it on your application. Mm-hmm. It is a it is a legit course. Mm-hmm. Um, you you I, I would say you classify it as as well. You know, in terms of the courses that you took relative to the to the program, you would classify those however it's appropriate on AMCAS or ACOMAS or or whatever. In terms of the type of course it was, um, I think that you need to be prepared, uh, Dakota, to. To, to talk about um, either in a, an interview or perhaps in the application why you didn't move forward with um, with uh, licensing. It concerns me a little bit that you said because I didn't really enjoy clinicals. Yeah. Um, I'd like to hear more about you know that that concerns me some, and mm-hmm. I'd like to know kind of what was going on with that that you didn't enjoy it. Is it just all clinical situations that you don't enjoy, which is troubling, uh, or was it just within the context of the EMT training, or exactly what's you know what's going on with that? I think is uh, is something that I would want to know more about. What do you think, Vernie? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing that that stood out for me because obviously you know if you're embarking on this career. Right. Um, mm-hmm. That's what you're going to be doing. Right. Um, yep. So maybe, you know, Dakota hasn't shared, you know, what was it about the clinicals? Maybe it was one aspect of it, but not others. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's obviously the biggest part of your job. Right. So um, that's right. So lots yeah. of, you know, think about this. Think about this as you're, you're not just the technical, like how do I, you know, categorize this? How do I put this in the application? But what else is going on there? Right. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Yep. Okay. Good. Let's see. Question here from Lisa. I volunteer as a medical assistant at a free clinic for the underserved. What category do I put it under? Community, community service or clinical? I also work as an EMT scribe. This good is question. A good question. Yeah, that is a really good question. There's a lot of overlap here. Mm-hmm. I would say... Um, you know, uh, I, you know, you could do it either way. Um, the The categorization of your activities is your choice. Uh, you could go either way with community service or clinical. Um, I think you've got um, EMT work and scribe work that are clearly uh, going to be uh, clinical as well. So you may want to put it under community service if you don't have a lot of other community service. Um, so I think what you want to do is look at the bigger picture of all of your activities. On AMCAS, you know, you're going to have 15 different 
activities or, or whatever listed. And uh, you want to you want to um, really indicate on uh, and by looking at the bigger picture, you want to make sure that that the, the categori- categorization of all those activities maximizes what you're tr- the, the, the things that you're trying to emphasize to the admissions committees. So in, in this case, if you've got, uh, you know, limited other community service type things, then I would say this would be community service because you want to highlight that this is community service. This doesn't appear to be the case for you, but in, in, if it was the case that you didn't have a lot of clinical activities otherwise, then you might want to list this as, as clinical. Uh, so I'd say you, ha- you have to kind of look at the big picture of what all those activities look like. What are you categorizing them all as, particularly when you have things that could be multiple uh, in, in multiple categories and then uh, and then do those uh, categorize it in a way that's going to give the big picture that you want to give to the admissions committee. I don't know. Does that make sense for any in terms of how yeah. you how you would yeah, look at that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's always tricky when you have all these overlapping um, right. responsibilities, but I think you're right. I think looking at a bigger picture, if you, you know, need more uh, volunteer experience or on your application, you need more volunteer experiences, then maybe you can put it there. But yeah. I think I think looking at the whole picture is, is definitely a good idea. Yep, absolutely. absolutely. All right. So we're getting a lot of hellos and happy Wednesday. So just Woo-hoo. want to say hello, Hi, everybody. Y'all. Happy Wednesday. <laughs> right? y'all. If you're, if this is your first time watching, yes, absolutely. You can go ahead and ask questions in the comments and we'll, we'll read them out and uh, hopefully get to them. We don't always get to all of them, but that's okay. We'll try to get through them as much as possible. Absolutely. We will. Yep. Okay. So here's one about personal statement writing. So, um, Kioma, Kioma, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, uh, asks, is it okay to talk about the death of my father in my personal statement? Mm. Um, good question. A, what do you think for any Very good question. So um, on, on two fronts. Um, the first is, so if you've sort of now started to think about, you know, next steps because you haven't heard yet about your application and you're maybe now looking back and seeing at, you know, areas where you can improve your application or change a few things, you might be looking at your personal statement. Um, This is obviously a huge part of the application, right? And so if the death of your father or death of a loved one is something that's authentic to you and it shaped who you are and it shaped your motivations to going for going to medical school, it is absolutely okay to talk about that. Um, You know, you have to, you know, you have to kind of show why this experience, you know, kind of put you on this path. Um, But obviously losing a loved one, whether you were close to them or not, maybe, maybe, you know, whatever the circumstances were, if it's, what the you know kind of put you on this path and it's like i said very authentic to who you are and and your story as a as you know as a future physician then absolutely i think it's something you can discuss absolutely yeah totally totally agree with that i think it's very uh very uh, applicable you know just like you said verenia it's it's if this is part of your story 
then you got to tell it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you see any downsides to sharing really. things like this? Okay. Not really. I wouldn't go into excruciating detail. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would, you know, cover it in terms of what's appropriate to the bigger story that you're trying right. to tell here. Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely. I, I've seen it, you know, often before where, where a student talks about their grandmother who died or mm-hmm. a, a you know, another family member that was very close to them or a friend, mm-hmm. uh, whatever. And uh, this is not uncommon at all. And uh, I would say it's, it's uh, highly appropriate uh, if, you're, uh, if, you're, if your story is mm-hmm. really tied to that in a lot of ways. So, absolutely. Great. Okay. All right. Let's see. Uh, I have a question here from Rosie. Rosie, I work as an interpreter at a hospital. I have a lot of hours in, but I don't have a lot of shadowing. Would that compensate for having less shadowing hours? Hmm. Well, Rosie, hmm. I don't I don't think so. <laughs> I really don't. It's, yeah. you know, it, it's one experience. Oh, sorry. Um, you're working as an interpreter, so you're you're obviously you're there with the patient, you're there, you know, translating with them um so it's good experience but it's you're not really seeing other aspects right of care um that you would maybe see if you were shadowing um Mm -hmm. but i also don't want you to think of it as you know i don't have x number of hours in this area i don't have x number of hours in that area bigger picture here is is what you're doing as an interpreter enough to really get, you know, get you to see and understand what it means to be a doctor? Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. I think it's very, uh, you know, the, the point of shadowing is really to get to see the overall picture of what a doctor Mm -hmm. does for the amount of time that you're with them, whether that's four hours or eight hours or several times, you know, over the course of several months or whatever, you're getting the picture of what is this all about? What does this look like? Uh, on a day-to-day basis? What is the doctor doing? And you're not getting that as an interpreter. So it's really a different experience, as you said, Verenia. So mm-hmm. I don't think it replaces it or compensates for it. Rosie, I would I would say reach out, uh, try to get some some additional shadowing hours between now and, and, and May when the, when the application opens and uh, see if you can't supplement what you've got, uh, shadowing hours, uh, what you've got already with, with some additional. Uh, the interpreter job uh, at a hospital is a great mm-hmm. experience. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It, not taking away from that at all. It's just different. Right. Uh, it's going to be viewed as different. It's going to be viewed as clinical experience. Uh, as opposed to shadowing, and the, and the two really are different in terms of how w- what you're getting from it and what the admissions committee is gonna gonna view it as. Right, great, that's right. Um, so Dakota Shoemaker has a follow up comment to their question earlier. Uh, they mentioned the patient the patient interactions weren't very meaningful. I'm working as a pediatric psych tech, and I love it. The course was offered through a fire department and not through a college. Ah. Uh. 
So does that yeah. make a difference? Go yeah. Ahead. Ab- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you wouldn't put that as courses on your application mm-hmm. because they're not from an accredited institution and they're not really, uh, it's just a different thing. So that makes a lot more sense right. now. So I would say you would, you would, you know, perhaps put it under activities that you went through this and kind of how it played out and stuff like that. But it uh, mm-hmm. sounds like you're getting really great, uh, great experiences as a, as a psych tech. And, and that's, mm-hmm. that's great. I'm, 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 sort of relieved to hear that you yeah. did that so yes. that's nice <laughs> so good yeah that yeah. that does help a lot Dakota thanks okay. for thanks for that thank you all right moving on Fedat uh, asks what is the appropriate etiquette to communicate with our dream med schools and network with them so that when they eventually see our application come through they recognize our name from prior communication <laughs> what do you think, Doctor Wright? Yeah, that's a that's good question. That, you know, mm-hmm. that's a yeah, a really good question. It's and, common and too. It is Many a common question, ask. and I would say that the likelihood that they're going to have that you're going to have opportunities to, as you say, interact or network with them are limited. Mm-hmm. And even if you do that, the likelihood that they're going to remember you from prior communication with them is very low. Mm-hmm. So I think you don't need to put a whole lot of, of time and energy into, into this activity. I think there's a lot of other ways that you can make yourself a really great applicant, uh, you know, uh, other than trying to, you know, get your face in front of them and stuff like that. Now, you know, if you go to activities at the medical schools, um, then then perhaps you might. But, you you know, you indicated dream medical schools, and I'm assuming that that means they're kind of different locations and stuff. So the, the chances of going actually to the medical school or, and interacting with them are going to be limited. So, I, you know, I, I would say that networking with them uh, is going to be tough. And it's going to be not uh, fruitful, in my view, uh, to a large degree. And so I think spending a lot of time and energy trying to plan that out and figure out how to do that is is probably not the best way to spend your time. I, I agree. I definitely concur with that. I think um, I think it's obviously okay to you know follow them on social media if sure. you know, if they're out there. Uh, you know, keep up to date with you know any new developments in their research or their curriculum because that's all obviously you know hopefully when you get that interview and invite you can talk to them about that but as Dr. Wright was just saying it's not worth spending that much energy on that when you can focus that energy on you know other things that are going to be more beneficial yep definitely okay question here from Christian I trained to be a scribe but I didn't make it through the hospital training due to poor computer skills and slow working pace how can I speak about this in my application and advocate for myself? Okay. Hmm. It's a tough one. Yeah, it is. I, I, Christian, I think my, my, my initial reaction to this is that I would not include this on your application. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it, it, it brings up red flags that you don't want to bring up. Um, you know, if you have poor computer skills and slow working pace, 
then the concern is going to be for the admissions committee. Are you mm. going to, are those going to crop up in medical school? Is this, yeah. is this going to happen in medical school? If you're slow working pace, uh, that concerns medical schools. It concerns me even now that, uh, that that would be the case. And so mm. I would say, I would say I would not cover that in your application. I would just leave it off completely. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's a good idea. Yeah, you want you don't want to highlight no things negative that are going to yeah. right be negative, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Good luck, Christian. Yeah. Okay. Jarrell asks: uh, Currently taking a great psych class with a great professor and a practicing clinician. Thinking of asking her to volunteer or shadow her is uh, is this strong experience, or should I prioritize traditional experience in a hospital? Hmm. 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 I honestly, I think it's, if it sounds like you're interested in it, it sounds like you've connected with this professor. I don't think there's any harm in doing it. I think it's, it's a great opportunity to see that side of, um, you know, care that side of, uh, what, you know, what that entails. That's a whole other type of, of, um, clinical exposure, uh, mm-hmm. it's a practicing uh, clinician. So it's, I think it's a valuable experience to do, to have, sure. uh, and diversify your uh, exposure out there. So I don't yeah. see any harm in doing that. Yeah. Especially if it's something that you're really, mm-hmm. you, you really like the class and, and you think that you would really enjoy shadowing or I, I'd say go for it. And, you know, if it turns out that you don't feel like it's very meaningful, then you can always say, right. you know, I'm, uh, don't have time for this anymore or whatever. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm sure she would understand. So I'd say go for it and give, give it a shot and see, see how it yeah. goes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, I think students sort of focus on, you know, having that hospital traditional experience, but forgetting that you can still get meaningful experiences outside of that environment, right? Outside of just the traditional healthcare exposure. So exactly. That's something that you can talk about in an interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, or as Dr. Wright said, at least you'll know, hey, this wasn't really what I wanted or what I thought I liked. So at least you know now. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Amber asks, I just learned I have to retake my C minuses in my Gen Chem series. If I took the associated lab course for Gen Chem and received an A, do I need to retake Gen Chem with labs or will without suffice? Great question. Yeah. So uh, it's so funny because I am I'm sort of hearing from students about this as well and, and other advisors now about, you know, C minuses and repeating, right? So grades will soon be coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you, obviously, if you didn't, uh, you know, if you sort of struggled, right, uh, in the in the class itself, I think it's important to retake that make sure you get yeah. that foundation, that solid understanding. But the lab, you got an A, I don't think you need to retake nope. it. No, I agree. No, I, I agree. I, I, as long as your institution allows that, right? Uh, some institutions you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Some you can. If your institution allows you to take the the lecture class without the lab, that that'd be fine. Yeah, the problem is when the lab is attached with the with the lecture itself, and it's a combined right. grade, and then you can't. Right. You have to retake right. it. But if it's separate, and you're taking the lab separately, then. Don't repeat yeah. it. No. Yeah, I agree. Make, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> Which will save you a whole lot of time. <laughs> time and <laughs> Those money. Those labs are time consuming. Yeah, <laughs> oh my and money. Goodness, and money. Right. <laughs> good luck, though, Amber. Yeah, right. Great, okay. Amber. <laughs> oh, this is a good one here. So Mo asks, what are the pros and cons of Caribbean medical schools? What is good MCAT to get into if my GPA is a 3.3 with an upward trend in high level of science in senior year? 
Mm-hmm. It's a question about Caribbean schools. Yeah. Yeah, you know what, um, Mo, I think and this is a really important question mm-hmm. to a lot of students. Uh, I, I see really two questions here, one about the Caribbean medical schools and one about, you know, the MCAT GPA uh, combination. And so I would say let's let's take them separately. But the pros and cons of, of Caribbean medical schools, you know, the pros is that they're easier to get into. Um, you know, a lot of times uh, if you are unsuccessful getting into a, an American medical school, either MD or DO, then you can oftentimes still get into one of the Caribbean schools. And I, I will point out in my estimation and over the over my career and in my experience with Caribbean medical schools, there are there are some that are better than others. Uh, there is uh, there there are really three that are traditionally uh, well known uh, that you definitely want to consider if you're looking at Caribbean medical schools. Those being St. George's in Grenada, uh, Ross in uh, on Dominica. And then the American University of the Caribbean, which is on St. Martin. Uh, those three being sort of the ones that are the oldest, what, most well-known, most well-established, best, better funded, uh, et cetera. So there are some others in the Caribbean that are newer, that are not as well-known, that I, I don't know much about, and I would be concerned uh, maybe about those. But, but generally, I think those three that I mentioned, you would want to. Uh, consider as, as potential. Now, the downside to Caribbean medical schools is that they, they bring in lots of students. Uh, they bring in uh, very large classes. The support systems at Caribbean medical schools are not near what you find at American medical schools. Um, so, and what that leads to in part is a higher uh, attrition rate. Uh, so you're going to find that at, at Caribbean medical schools, the attrition rate is much higher than at American medical schools. The American medical school attrition rate is extremely low. I mean, we're talking maybe one, two percent uh, in terms of their their overall class that they're bringing in. So it, it's very low. And, and part of that is the admissions process. They're, they're, they're making sure that you're going to be capable of handling the the uh, the academics and that you're doing it for the right reasons and etc uh for in the case of um and, and they don't have as many uh support systems available because they have larger classes uh they typically don't have the funding uh that would enable them to have you know really really large uh student uh, support uh structures that will help students that are struggling so I think you really have to think about it very carefully. Uh, and uh, now, having said that, there are students that graduate from Caribbean medical schools that, you know, do well in, in on the uh, on licensure exams and they go on to residency programs in the U.S. And, and do fine in their careers. So I'm not disparaging necessarily everything about uh, Caribbean medical schools, but I do think you have to be aware and uh, upfront of kind of what the what the downside potentially is and uh, and work on that. So then the second question, Vernia, do you want to kind of talk a little bit about this this MCAT GPA kind of mixture thing? Oh, you're uh, I think you're muted. Sorry about that. There you go. Um, yeah, sure. So oftentimes students think, well, if my MCAT score is really high, you know, it, it'll offset my lower GPA. And um, that's not necessarily true. 
obviously um, you want to do the best you can on the MCAT, but I, I don't want students to go into it thinking, let me, you know, not worry about my GPA so much. I'm going to knock this MCAT. I'm going to crush it. I'm going to crush it and, and I'll be okay. Um, so what you should be focusing on is, you know, you do have, you mentioned that you have an upward trend. Um, you should be focusing on that, focus, focusing on your application, your other uh, activities and, and your personal statement. Um, and then approach the MCAT as you would, <laughs> you know, any other sort of exam that you have to take. It's just something I need to get through, um, do the best that I can on it. Um, so there's no, there's no real answer. Sure, we could say a 528. A 528 is the best, <laughs> the best score, right? That's the perfect right? score. That's the good MCAT. <laughs> um, but the reality is, is that there's so many different layers to this process that yep, um, yep. you really can't quantify that. Yeah, that's right. Higher the better, obviously. But, right. Uh, and, <laughs> right. And, you know, and I would say, Mo, congratulations on mm -hmm. the upward trend. Yes. Uh, high level of sciences and senior. Mm -hmm. That's great. Keep up the strong work. Uh, that's going to be meaningful to admissions committees. Um, I'd say, you know, you want to shoot for a solid MCAT score. I'd, I'd say 510 and above would be, mm -hmm. you know, a good area to be in if, if that's plausible for you. And uh, and then put it out there and see what see what happens. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Good luck, Mo. Good luck. All right. Um, got a question here regarding shadowing. So I am currently shadowing. Nikki asks, I'm currently shadowing a doctor. Do you have any recommendations on what I should think or look out for during the sessions that I could use on my application? Yeah. So I like this question because uh, for any sort of newer pre-meds out there who are just getting started, um, when you shadow a doctor, that is your time to really get in there, ask questions, observe, obviously be respectful of the patient and respectful of the doctor. Um, but as soon as you have an opportunity to talk to the doctor, you know, things you want to ask are, you know, why did you do, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you a doctor? What got you interested in this? You know, what do you like about the field? What don't you like about the field? Um, those are the things that you want to talk to them about, you know, what was their process like? Um, uh, you know, what's their favorite thing about what they do? What don't they like so much about what they do? Things like that. Uh, things to look out for are, you know, what's the doctor doing? How's the doctor talking to the patient? Are they listening to the patient? Are they communicating with the patient? Do you see that the patient is not really understanding what the doctor is saying? But the, And so the doctor is taking the time to go back and explain it again. Like those are things that you want to look for. If they're not doing that, that's something to look for. Obviously, you wouldn't like highlight it in that moment. Um, you might want to just talk to the doctor separately about, you know, their interaction, you know, do they have any suggestions for talking to patients? Things like that, right? Everything, that is your opportunity to fully, fully get engaged with the doctor and see what it's like from their perspective. Um, and all of this is going to obviously help you when you're filling out your application because you'll have that sort of inside knowledge and that experience of, of seeing this, of seeing how this happens, basically. Yeah. What do you think, Doctor? Yeah, completely, completely agree with that. I, I think you know you're really looking at those patient interactions mm -hmm. with the doctor. What is he or she saying to the patient? How is the interaction going? What does that look like? Um, what impresses you about the doctor and what they're doing? What? is negative about, you know, it's potentially, uh, you know, a negative thing. You see mm -hmm. the interaction with the doctor between a doctor and a patient or 
between two doctors or between a doctor and a, and a nurse or an MA, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe it's a negative interaction, and you you know you you may want to talk about that in your in your application about how that affected mm-hmm. you and what and what that what you took away from that. So I'd pay attention to everything, and 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 when you get back, my encouragement if you're if you're a mapped user, you're able to within the context of mapped. Uh, you're able to type into that experience journal uh, reflections about what you saw. And so ty- every time when you get back in, log yeah. it into MAP mm-hmm. uh, and, and talk about, in, in, you know, reflect on what you've seen and journal about that. If you're not a MAP user, get a get a spiral notebook or do it in a, uh, a Word document or, or on an Excel spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, there's a lot of different ways you can do it, but the reflection process is really important because you're going to forget some of this. Yeah. So so, uh, because you know, if you're applying next year, then that's you know we're talking about you know six seven months away, and and if you're doing an experience now, you may not re- recall it if you don't write right. it down. Yeah. yeah, and 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 if you're not a mapped user, actually, this would be a great time to maybe yeah. check it out. So, yeah, if you right. go to map.com, you can actually get a free trial of our uh, software, it's, uh, mapped app, um, and you'll yeah. you'll you'll be able to access it for two weeks and see what you know, what a wonderful software system it is for right. tracking all of this information. Um, so just a, just, just a, sh- a small shameless plug there, Dr. Right, <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Nikki, hopefully that, that helps. Um, okay, so I did skip over a question earlier. Here it is. Okay, this question is from Jennifer. Uh, how, how long should an update letter be? They're debating how to mention a new promotion and a, ju- a new job in it. Mm-hmm. So this is around the time that students start to, you know, yep. kind of think about updating schools, about what they've been up to since they've applied. Right. Um, you yeah, don't you want know, it. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, you don't want it to be too long. Obviously, mm-hmm. you just want to exactly. update them on whatever, you know, whatever's new since you've applied. Um, mm-hmm. However long that that takes, it shouldn't be very, very long. But go ahead, Dr. Scott. Yeah, I was just going to say the way I like to see it is you, you start off the letter with maybe a very short paragraph. Mm-hmm. Still very interested in your medical school. Want to update you on my recent activities. And then you bullet these things mm-hmm. out. And in short you know, short verbiage bullets, you know, I started a new job at blank and I'm doing blank. Uh, Next bullet, I got a promotion and this promotion was from this to this. And and in my new position, I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Uh, Not long at all. And then you follow follow the bullets up with, and don't do 15 different bullets. Mm. I mean, I'm talking about maybe three or four bullets, you know, not not a whole lot. And, uh, And then you finish it up with, you know, very excited about the opportunity to to uh, potentially you know attend your medical school. If you have any questions, let me know, and then that's it. Right, you know, so. and then sorry, and then the question about mentioning the promotion. I mean, I, you know, it, I don't. Is it is if it's something that you think is going like if it affects your application in some way? I don't think that that's you know as I guess as a. a big deal i hate to put it in those terms mm-hmm. but do you know what i mean like yeah yes yeah. it's nice to mention it um at the end of the day you, you just that shouldn't be the only thing that you're updating them on right right you know maybe you're updating them on continuing shadowing experiences right. Include or that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another clinical experience that you've had or community service thing or whatever yeah right. I, I agree with that okay thank you all right 
got a question here about virtual got a lot of shadowing. good questions yeah. today. So RM asks, I've seen virtual shadowing opportunities. However, these do not really have a provider's day or week. With COVID-19 and new var- variants, how can I get live shadowing experiences? Yeah, so... You know. Just got to beat the bushes out there. You know, you just got to really uh, mm-hmm. cold calls and use ne- any kind of networking opportunities to connect with doctors and uh, to uh, ask them if you can come, you know, follow them around for a mm-hmm. week or two. I mean, it's it's not easy, and uh, but you have to do the hard work and you're going to get a lot of a uh, lot of no you know, mm-hmm. answers and mm-hmm. you have to just accept that all it takes is one. And so, you know, you try to get, get what you can. That's it. Yeah. And I don't think even with these new variants, you know, things are now open. Things are now functioning. Um, I heard on the news recently that they were not going to consider shutdowns again. So things are proceeding as much as possible, uh, as normal as possible. Um, But it really, so basically not having live shadowing experiences won't be, um, you know, sorry, only having online shadowing experiences is not going to be viewed the same way as it was last year, basically. Right. So they're expecting you to get out there, like Dr. Wright was just saying, and beat the bushes. And, yep. and all you need is that one opening and you, you'll be, you know, right. you'll be in. So yep. Keep at it. Yeah, keep at it. That's keep exactly at it. Right. Okay. Let's see. Here's another one. All right. Um, Except, ask. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> uh, I have no paid clinical experience except volunteering as a scribe and another one as an ER volunteer. In fact, I do not have any paid experience. Is that okay other than volunteering? So we're talking about paid versus, you know, un, uh, unpaid or volunteer experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, I would say go ahead, Verena. Yeah, generally, it's okay. I think it's fine. But, um, you know, Go ahead. Sorry, you were saying. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I think you're exactly right, Brittany. I, I think that's that's just fine. Uh, you know, not everybody has the opportunity to mm. get ca- uh, paid clinical experiences. I, I would say that's, uh, you know, you, you know, uh, those being typically scribe, CNA, MA, you know, some sort of technician in a uh, in a hospital, and those would be the typical ones, I think. Um, but uh, but. The fact that you don't have paid clinical experience is not going to be a big deal. I, I would say uh, don't worry about that. The, uh, having volunteer experiences, the, the point is getting the experience, whether you're paid or not right. paid. Mm-hmm. That's irrelevant. I think what, you want it, what you're wanting to do is get the experiences. And as long as you're getting those experiences and that you're really thinking deeply about what you're seeing and doing in those experiences, that's the key. Exactly. Great. And actually, here's another question regarding that, too. Uh, Jeff asks, I'm a non-traditional student and I have around 8,000 clinical hours from working as a CNA over the span of six years. Since they are a a few years old now, would I need to get more recent clinical experience? So, again, you know, this is a little bit different, obviously. Um, Yeah. But regarding the clinical experience. Yeah, I would, you know, Jeff, uh, it's just, it's really unfortunate that you only have 8,000 hours. I mean, come on. 
no, that's a total joke there. I'm just kidding. Uh, that's, that's fantastic that you have a lot of, a lot of hours. I mean, it's, it, you know, that's, that's really great. Uh, you really don't indicate, uh, when, how, how old these are, uh, since they yeah. are, you say a few years old now. I don't really know what that means, but I wouldn't be overly concerned about that. I think, you know, if you can get some more recent clinical experience that, you know, might be might be good and you know it certainly wouldn't be a downside to that uh but i don't think you know with that many hours you know the point here is that you know what patient care is like you know what you know you've interacted with patients in you know over the span of a lot of hours so you you get it you know what it's all about and that's really the key that's really the point and i would i would say you're going to talk about that in your activity descriptions you're going to talk about that you know, potentially in your personal statement. So I would just say, you know, keep, uh, you know, I wouldn't feel like you need to, depending on kind of what your current situation is, that you would need to drop everything and try to go hurry and get, you know, clinical hours. If that was a possibility where you could do some, you know, if you're a CNA, you know, maybe you could pick up a, a shift, uh, you know, once a week or, or uh, you know, periodically or, or whatever, if that's even possible, you know, look at that possibility uh, and see if that uh, might pan out. But otherwise, I, I, I wouldn't be completely uh, are overly concerned about that. Okay. Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. Moving on. All right. Question here from Fidad who asks, is it bad if all of my LORs are coming, are all coming from science and math professors? I shadowed different doctors for several hours, but none of them replied back when I asked for a letter of recommendation. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, um, Brittany? So I think science and math professors is fine, right? Yeah. That's who you yeah. have as recommenders. That's fine. Um, don't worry if you don't have one from a doctor, but maybe you right. have one from an employer, a supervisor, uh, maybe at a volunteer site if you're currently volunteering or if you volunteered in the past, um, any of those would be um, good to get as well. Yeah. Yeah, completely agree. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't worry too much. Um, yeah. Now, if you're only able to get the science and the math ones, then, you know, it, it, that's who you have. But, um, yeah. yeah, you know, it is what it is. But I'm sure that you probably have experiences somewhere else and you can probably reach out to them as well. Yeah, agreed. Okay. Let's see. Sorry, I lost my place here. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot uh, of questions, a lot yeah, of great questions today. Very, yeah, that's good. Okay, here's one. Gabby asks, I'm interested in a school that does not accept online prerequisites, but the community college that I am taking courses at is still live online due to the pandemic. Is it appropriate to ask about an exception? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Gabby. Yeah, this is a great question. And I think that medical schools that generally do not take online classes for prereqs, there's going to be a lot of flexibility mm -hmm. with regard to the to the pandemic and, and how this has affected uh, learning at the institution where you're going to. So I, I, I my suspicion would be that the school is going to be very flexible with that, but I think it's completely appropriate to explain, you mm -hmm. know, kind of the situation to the medical school in your application uh, or, uh, or otherwise, you know, 
there may be a question on the secondary that mm-hmm. kind of allows you to 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 talk about that. But my suspicion would be you're not gonna not gonna need to worry about that. No, that's right. Okay, here's a good one. Um, RM asks: Do our activities have to be purely clinical medical? Or can it be taking care of people in other ways, such as teaching, mentoring, teaching children, or mentoring programs with children? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, sometimes those are the great, greatest mm-hmm. experiences. You know, the, I think medical schools want to see you being out there and doing things. What you're talking about here is, mm-hmm. is community, community mm-hmm. service. This is volunteerism at its very core. And, uh, and so absolutely the, the activities that you have do not all have to be, uh, clinical or medical, uh, because you're learning things by teaching children, mentoring, uh, children. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're learning things and you're impacting them. This is what medicine is all about, exactly. is impacting people's lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I, I, I RM, I, I think absolutely this is this is great experience. It doesn't replace clinical uh, uh, activities. You know, they're still going to want to see clinical things that you're mm-hmm. doing, but they do not have to, as you be, as you put it, be purely uh, clinical. Uh, but you can you can show a lot of different things through what you what you've been doing. Absolutely. And and I think it makes you a more well-rounded candidate as well, right? Mm-hmm. If, you know, when you're working with people, um, that's what you're learning by helping others in other ways. You're, you're working with people, you're dealing with people. Um, Absolutely. And that, yeah. and kids will teach you lots and lots and lots of things like patience, yeah. like <laughs> communication skills. So do it. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Okay. Garage Bob would like to know, with the first deposit due on December 14th for DO schools, when would be an ideal time to send a letter of intent? The school that I'm waitlisted at isn't as highly sought after compared to others. So letters of intent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I know that Dr. Gray uh, often says that your application itself mm-hmm. is your letter of intent. You know, you're, you're putting your application out there and you're saying, I w- would go to your school if you let me in. Now, having said that, if you're on the wait list, I don't think there's a downside to sending a letter of intent. I don't think they're going to be, you know, I don't think they're going to be viewed completely as, oh, wow, this guy's going to come or this lady's going to really, you know, come if we if we offer it to her. They, they get it that, you know, often students have various choices. And mm-hmm. so I would say, um, write a letter of intent, say, hey, I'm on your wait list. I just want you to know that if offered, I'll be there. And uh, and just again, just like we said on the on the previous letter, uh, the letter of uh, uh, of update, uh, I would say in, in a, in a uh, intent letter short and sweet. Mm-hmm. You know, I interviewed on X date and had a great experience, really, you know, enjoy your, you know, enjoy the experience, whatever. And I uh, just wanted you to know that I, I was, you know, very impressed and that I will be there if, if offered and, you know, whatever, just, just short and sweet. I would say, you know, not, you know, maybe a one to one paragraph, potentially maybe two very short paragraphs, but, you know, short and keep it short and sweet. Yep. That's it. Okay. Just trying to find lots of questions today. Yeah. All right. Um, sorry. Okay. Yeah, that's good. 
here's one from Emma. Emma G asks, the shadowing and clinical experience like scribing go under the same category in the medical school application? Uh, hmm, that's a good question. I think there's, I think there, it depends on which service you're using, I think. Yeah. Because uh, I think the, the, the Texas service, ACOMAS and, and AMCAS all have different uh, categories and stuff like that. Some of them are more expansive and mm-hmm. some of them are less expansive. So uh, I would say look at what you think is most appropriate. And uh, unfortunately, I, I can't remember right off the top of my head exactly what those categories are in, in, in AMCAS or, or, or whatever uh, or, or the other application services. And so I would say just, you know, choose the one that, that you feel like best reflects what you did in that activity. That's right. Yeah. And it'll it'll vary, obviously, by application. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. So. Looking at the time here. All right, we have quite yeah, a few got, more questions. Yeah, yeah, we have time. So this yeah. question is from Brian. Hey, asks, Brian. Hey, Brian. I have thousands of volunteering hours. He's a volunteer firefighter for three years, EMT for one and a half years, from high school until the year after high school graduation. Should I put this on my application? Because this is high school, I'm thinking, um, I'm trying, sorry, I'm rereading the question. Just want to make sure I understood it. Um, you there's still volunteer experiences it's not going to be viewed um because they were in high school it's not going to be viewed with as much um i guess won't carry as much weight as sort of what you did later on um but i think it's fine to mm-hmm. share that you did this i mean it's it's you know mm-hmm. it shows your commitment to serving the community and and being you know an EMT so it's definitely fine to put it on there yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it depends a little bit on what part of the application you're talking about. Certainly within the context of a uh, personal statement, if this has a great impact on your story and you know, why you want to go into medicine, those experiences, then absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, in the activities list, I, I think based on what you said here, you say until the year after high school. So mm-hmm. po- that is post high school. For so I year. would say. You could even put that on the activities, but you need to be clear that this mm-hmm. started in high school and that it was high school plus a little bit after high school. So, yeah. And, you know, uh, so I, I would say, yeah, I'd stick it on there. Yeah. And, and actually, Brian asked a follow up question regarding uh, here. I'll put it on the screen, um, whether these experiences, especially the EMT, shapes his desire to pursue medicine. And so that is definitely what you would want to try to convey in your description of yes. the activity mm-hmm. or in your personal statement. Absolutely, Brian. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. So Caleb asks, um, so this is a student who's graduating with a bachelor's in history, medical terminology and chemistry. What type of administrative jobs might be good for him in the future or for them in the future? Um, I mean. Oh, wow. Okay. This is a little (laughs) different. Yeah. It's a little off topic here. Um, You know, it it really depends on your interests, Caleb. I think you have quite a varied uh, set of skills there. Um, Yeah. You know, it's going to depend on what you're interested in. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, so I'm going to, I'm going to give full disclosure here, Caleb. I was a history major in college. (laughs) And so kudos to you for studying history. I, I think in my, in my experience and, and Caleb, I'm, 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 I suspect that in your experience also, what, what studying history in college did, did for me, is that it taught me how to read and write and think. 
Okay. Uh, the humanities do that a lot. And uh, reading and writing and thinking. And this is, these are good skills for almost anything. Okay. I mean, here I am, uh, uh, you know, a, a uh, history major from college. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing this in medical education and have been for 25 years. And so, you know, you can do a, a whole lot with, uh, with you know, various types of degrees. It just depends on how you market yourself and it depends on what you're interested in and what you want to do. So I, I would look at, and you say in your, in this question, you say what type of administrative job. So mm-hmm. I'm not really exactly sure kind of what you're talking about or what you're interested in. Um, it, you know, if you're interested in clinical medicine, you, you certainly could go, uh, you know, you could be a, uh, an MA, you could be a, a EMT, you could be mm-hmm. a, a CNA, uh, you, could, you could do a lot of different things uh, in terms of clinical experiences. Uh, administrative jobs I'm not as familiar with, so I don't really know, you yeah. know, kind of what that might be. You certainly could be, uh, you know, involved in administration at a clinic or in mm-hmm. a hospital or whatever, but based on, you know, your own interests and skills. And so, you know, what do you think, Verenia? I agree with you. I mean, it, it's it, what I what I what I liked about what you said is that it, it, at the end of the day, your major, your, what you study, it's not always going to be for one thing. Right. You're going to be able to branch off into other things. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it really comes down to what you're interested in. Yep, I agree. Right. So question here from Michael, uh, going back now to, into the clinical world. Can we get a an LOR from a professor in our DIY post back? Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely, Michael, especially um, a professor, if, you know, if you've connected with them, if you haven't done so yet and you're thinking ahead for the future, then definitely you want to connect with them from now, start talking to them about you know, their research interests and, and you know, what they're doing um, so they can get to know you. Mm-hmm. So they can get to know you and understand your motivations for uh, wanting to go to medical school so yeah. that when you ask, uh, they can provide that letter for you. Yeah. And, and you know, in a broader sense, Michael, and, and really anybody else listening uh, or watching, uh, you can you can ask for a letter of recommendation from anybody. You know, they, they just need to know. You. Well, OK, let me take that back. Not a family member. No. <laughs> that, you know, not mom or dad or yeah. aunt. You know, Aunt Susie or Uncle Jeff, who is a, uh, you know, clinician or whatever. So no family members or no close family friends. Right. Uh, so I would say, you know, but in general, I would say a professor that you've had in class, whether it was undergrad or graduate school or a postback program, uh, a uh, any kind of clinician that you've that you've had contact with or uh, a, a work supervisor or a volunteer experience supervisor. These would be very common, uh, very, very, very common common uh, letters. Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, have some questions here. So we have a student here, Fedot. Um, un- is unclear on the timing to ask for the letter of recommendation. I asked for them right after I completed the class so the professor wouldn't forget who I am. Why do LOR dates have to be close to the application date? Yeah, that's a good question. That is a good question. So, Fadat, mm-hmm. think about it this way. If you were on the admissions committee and you saw a letter that, that came with your application that was two years old, um, in my mind, what I would think would be, does this person not know the? Do you not know this letter writer any longer? Uh, do, are they 
you know, out of the picture, it would, it would potentially raise a red flag. Uh, so, you know, that, that you, maybe they don't like you anymore. Maybe you got crosswise with them. And so you couldn't get an updated letter. Um, it, it just raises questions that you don't want to have uh, an admissions committee member think. Uh, so I would say that the letter, what you can do is tell the, uh, tell the uh, professor shortly after you've taken the class with them, I'm going to be asking for a letter from you when I'm ready to apply. Is that okay? And then they can, you know, they can say yes or whatever, and then keep in touch with them over the course of time. Every semester, you know, go by their office, remind, you know, hey, how's it going? You know, uh, how's your semester going? Sit down, tell them what's going on with you or, or send them an email with some, some updates about your current activities or, or things. You know, you just want to keep in, keep in touch with them so they remember who you are. And, uh, and then when it comes time to actually ask for that, uh, letter, you want that letter to be to have the year date of the of the year you're applying so if you're applying in 22 you want that to be dated in 22 if you're applying in 23 you want that to be dated in 23 Uh, so you don't want to raise any red flags even if it's a small red flag wow this letter's two years old what's that all about you don't want to raise any questions like that yeah absolutely um i i think we have time for one more right yeah sure So we have a question here from Ms. Sabine. I've only worked in and volunteered in medical clinics as a phlebotomist, EKG tech, and a scribe for the past few years. I've never worked at a hospital. Is that bad? Absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not, Ms. Sabine. I'm sorry. I I hope I'm saying your name correctly. But um, the work that you're doing now, the experiences that you're getting now are solid, you know, valid experiences. They're teaching you what it's like to work in the clinical setting, to work with patients. Um, It's not, remember, it's not so much, it's not as important where you did it, but what, you know, what you're doing it, what you're learning from it. So don't worry so much about the setting. Uh, It doesn't look bad at all. Yeah, no, and I totally, I totally agree with that. I think that uh, it sounds to me like you're really getting great experiences and uh, just, you know, keep up the, keep up the good work and, uh, uh, you know, really uh, emphasize and reflect on what you're seeing. But the fact that you're, you haven't been in a, in a hospital setting, I think is really not, not that big a deal. And so, uh, so I would say just, you know, keep doing what you're doing. If you have an opportunity to, to get into a hospital setting, that'd be great. But if not, it's not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think we've, I think we've yeah, we made it through this made hour it. of Astadine. Yeah. Well, good luck solo. to everybody. And uh, I hope, uh, I hope everyone's doing well and, and, and remembers positive attitudes, uh, yes. positive attitudes about, about where you are in the process. If you applied this year and you're, you're not hearing things or, or you've heard things or whatever your situation is in the current application, uh, you know, think positively uh, about your your experiences if you're if you're anticipating applying next year or the following year positive attitudes about your 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 volunteer experiences your clinical you know whatever you're doing uh, just work hard uh, work hard be creative and and do good things and that that's really the key as you can see on the on the map thing behind me that's, yeah. that's what we're all about work hard let me, let me focus be on that. creative. Yep. And, and do, do good, good things. things. This is this is really key. And so, but uh, 
good good luck to everybody and we, we're glad you you joined us today and, and I yeah. think next week we'll we'll be back with another Ask the Dean and we'll be here with uh, with Rachel Grubbs and, and Dr. Ryan Gray along with, along with myself and, yes. and Brenny Granham but uh, it's been great being with you today yeah hopefully the whole team will be with us next week as well yep. uh, if we didn't get to your questions today don't worry uh, as Dr. Scott Wright just said we'll be here again next week feel free uh, come and join us for sure and bring your questions then too so all right, everyone. Have a great right. rest of your day and enjoy the rest of the week. Yep. Bye. Bye-bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.